Welcome everyone to Contents May Vary. I'm Angie Fiedler Sutton, talking to geeky people about geeky things. I'm a proud fangirl geek with pieces published in Stage Directions, Den of Geek, The Mary Sue, and more. As fans of my website already know, and if you've listened to the last few episodes, on June 21st, 2022, I participated in a fundraiser for Alzheimer's Association called The Longest Day, wherein I live-streamed interviews from 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. to help raise funds for research. My next interviewee was included in that day, but her audio wasn't great, so we had to redo the interview. Without further ado, let's geek out with Siobhan Olds. I'd like to introduce my next guest. Siobhan Olds is a 30-something wife and mother of two. She is a craft enthusiast, dabbling artist, and pet lover. A self-identified ball of anxiety, she is a mental health awareness advocate and creates children's stories to help bring understanding of mental health disorders and diagnoses to young minds. You can meet all of her mental health monsters at mymentalhealthmonsterbooks.com. And she is a, she has lived in Sacramento since 2013, but grew up a military brat. Welcome to Contents May Vary. Siobhan. Hello. Um, Siobhan and I knew each other very, very briefly. We both worked at the same place, although we only saw each other like once or twice, maybe, because <laughs> yeah. since you were based in Sacramento and I was based in LA, it was only when we did like conventions and stuff like that. We've known each other better online and have become fast internet friends. And that's actually one of the things we're going to be talking about too, is the fact that you do run like a fan based shop, which includes now full self-promotion awareness it has now contents may vary merchandise in it yay but first let's talk a little bit about your book you wrote a book i wrote a book (laughs) you wrote a book you wrote a children's book at that which they are not easy oh man yeah if you had told younger siobhan that when i finally wrote a book it'd be a children's book i would have laughed hysterically could not have predicted so anybody who's a regular listener to this podcast knows I, I hate asking or, you know, where do you get your ideas? Because I know for writers, it comes from everywhere. This is a very specific book. So I am going to ask the question. Tell me kind of the origin of this book specifically and this book series and where you got the idea of what this is going to be. Sure. So the book, my first book is called My Anxiety Monster. And It's a very specific topic. This book sort of snowballed on me. I didn't know it was going where it was going until we were already in it. My daughter, who is now six, started displaying some very textbook signs of anxiety disorders uh, around age four and five. And as someone who has anxiety and depression, it was really important to me that she had resources and understanding of that because as most millennials, I think probably could attest, we didn't know we had mental health issues until we were in our thirties and we kind of had to stumble through that on our own. And I really just wanted her to not have to start from fresh as an adult. So in the course of talking about her anxiety and what it made her feel and what she thought about when she was having her panic attacks and stuff, she sort of described this monster to me that had purple fur and green horns and a bunch of eyes. And I thought, okay, well, she's got a very visual manifestation of what that looks like. How can I make that a not scary thing? So we drew her monster. I have zero art background, but I love to draw and doodle. And so I got on my iPad one night and I just drew her monster for her and she critiqued it like eight times. We went through like four drafts. 
<laughs> where I didn't get the eyes right or didn't get the horns right. But eventually we came to like a conclusion of like, here's a version of this monster that doesn't look so scary. And we would talk about how I helped my anxiety and how I dealt with my panic attacks. And that sort of just became this book that I wrote for her and illustrated using just, you know, little pictures of the monster and talking about breathing techniques and counting techniques and how you can help keep your anxiety calm and how you can tell when it's coming up. And it, she loved it. <laughs> She's very proud of it. She'll tell anyone who sees it. It's sold at a couple of local bookstores. And when we see them there, she tells people like, that's my book. Um, my mommy wrote that for me. So, <laughs> so she became very attached to it. And I thought, what a cool thing. And I actually ended up putting it on Amazon just so that I could get it published because she wanted a physical copy for herself that wasn't stuck on mommy's iPad, which she's not allowed to touch without, you know, a parent assistance. So I went through the Amazon publishing and I got a paperback published and I just did that so that I could give her a physical copy of the book. And then I kind of posted on my Facebook, like, Hey, anybody who's, you know, got $15 and wants to throw it at my pet project, I, I wrote this book. And in like three weeks, I sold like 25 copies, which nice. some authors probably would not think is a large number, but as a person who never thought I'd write a book in my life, it felt huge to me. So it made me think a lot of those people were people that I knew through parent groups or school groups with my daughter. And I thought, is this a resource that like other parents are also looking for? Is this a thing that like there's a void of that we're all just trying to help our kids through? So I started doing some research and, you know, to very little surprise, frankly, there's not a lot about mental health for children, especially written to the child's perspective. There's a lot about how you can parent those children and those books and websites are super important as a parent, you know, they're, they're where all my resources live, but they don't help me explain what a panic attack feels like and why even though it feels like you're going to die, you're absolutely not going to die from that. Those are all things that it's really hard to walk a child through, especially if you don't have anxiety. You know, some parents, they don't have experience with anxiety and they're parenting a child with anxiety. My husband has no idea how to reach Beatrice when she's in a panic spiral because he doesn't have that kind of anxiety. Yeah, so I just started trying to fill that void. So we have my anxiety monster. My ADHD monster actually drops at the end of this month, September. Yay. It has been a passion project for sure. I did a lot of research for the anxiety monster, but it was something that I also uh, have that mental health issue. So it was a lot easier for me to sort of identify what needed to be said and done. ADHD, I really wanted to get right. Not to say I don't didn't want to get anxiety right, but I really wanted to get ADHD right as a person who doesn't have it and my children are not currently diagnosed with it. So the amount of research that went into that book is astronomical. For a 36-page children's book, I feel like I poured my entire life into it. I've had it like beta tested, not just by children's authors, but also mental health professionals and a couple of child psychologists. I just really wanted to get the information right for those people. 
well, it's not like you're doing a book on baseball <laughs> where if you fudge right. it a little bit, it's going to be okay. <laughs> it's, very important. It's, it's so important to get it right. And, and it's one of those things where like, you don't even know what you don't know. So I started writing the ADHD book. And then the more I talked to mental health professionals and some teachers, the more I realized like there's actually two sides to ADHD. There's hyperactive and there's inattentive. And in an effort to do all of that justice, I actually decided to just make them two separate ones. So I will be doing a follow-up book that is the inattentive cousin. I was going to say maybe twins. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> as, as a Gemini. <laughs> yeah, it's, just, it's so in-depth and I so desperately want children to be able to see themselves in these books and recognize like that they are not the only people walking around with you know, with a brain that works a little bit differently. And that's really how I try to approach everything in all of my books. It kind of starts with, this is my monster and they make my brain work differently. And here's all the ways that it's different. And I just wanted it to be a thing that you can sort of celebrate what makes you a little bit different. Uh, my daughter, my daughter is very used to this phrase I say, which is we're all a little bit weird, it's fine. <laughs> Well, as as a Gen Xer myself, you were talking about how millennials never, you know, thing. As a Gen Xer, we were like, we didn't even acknowledge. I mean, only only the kooky people had needed therapy. <laughs> people like you know on the Bob Newhart show and you know those kind of things. So it's it's even harder for for someone my age. Although you know it's getting better overall, just because overall it's getting better. I do know that there are becoming more and more resources available for children. I know that Sesame Street has really started ramping up, uh, especially during COVID kind of mental health issues. Other than your book, what other resources would you recommend to parents who might be dealing with these issues? Oh, wow. Um, so actually, in the back of all of my books, I have like a list of online resources. I, I make the broad assumption that most parents go to online for questioning at this point. My number one source of information when I start like all of my books, I, I literally go to childmind.org, the Child Mind Institute. And actually, they kind of break down all of the common children's mental health disorders. You can sort of get like a list of average symptoms that you might be looking for to help you spot what you're, you're going into and resources on where to get started and how to get a diagnosis and stuff like that. I find that to be the most helpful in the broad sense, especially if you're starting at ground zero. Like, here's my kid and I know that there's something going on, but I couldn't tell you what it is. And then I... I really can't recommend enough. The thing about therapy, right, is that you have to find the right therapist. And that's not always a hit out of the park. On oh, the God, time. no. I've, I no, have there, horror stories myself. <laughs> there, there are lots of bad therapists. I have been very fortunate that I have a great therapist who I adore. And if she ever leaves, I will follow her wherever she's headed. So... You know, I have had really good luck with therapy, but I know that that's not always the case. But I would still say if you can get in contact with your pediatrician, even when you aren't sure if it's going to be a necessary thing for a long term therapy, having a child psychiatrist just like evaluate your kid. It really helped me with a lot of my concerns for Beatrice. It gave me like a we are on the right track. We are being proactive about something so that it doesn't become an issue down the road. Now, my daughter loves her therapist. She still sees her occasionally just because Beatrice has never met a person that she couldn't attach to instantly. Um, 
you know, honestly, she'll probably quote unquote graduate from therapy in the next couple of months. She's been doing really well and we've been working really hard on it using the book and the resources. But I would say, you know, it it's a pain to get the ball rolling. The mental health system in this country is a joke. Yeah. Um, and you you might fight every step of the way. But advocating to your pediatrician and getting your child seen by a psychiatrist is really the first step to everything because a diagnosis is is where you start. You know, you can find all the resources in the world once you have that diagnosis. Now, as you mentioned that there are a lot of horror stories about uh, bad psychiatrists as well. So I'm assuming Child Mind Institute as well has some like suggested interview questions or a way to basically make sure that you're getting someone who's going to actually, you know, not treat them badly. So what are some of the things you would say that you would recommend in that interview, in that interview slash testing process, I guess, to make sure that you've got the right person? So the first thing, well, the first, the very first thing is, and I'm pretty sure this is standard protocol, but let me just put it out there in case it isn't for any reason. For a child psychiatrist, psychologist, counselor ever speaks to your child, they should speak to you first and kind of get an idea of what your concerns are, what your worries are, you know, where you think you're struggling, what you need for, from your child's therapist. That's number one. There should always be like a parent meeting first. And then it's really, you want to make sure that they are specializing in whatever you think that you're having an issue with. For Beatrice, it was anxiety. There are ADHD specialists. There are trauma specialists. That's a big one. If you're coming at a mental health disorder from a place of trauma, you really want someone who is trauma informed because that's a completely different kind of monster. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> um, and, you know, the other big question for me was pushing the drug side of things. I'm not an anti-drug person. In fact, I very proudly will tell anyone that I take my Zoloft daily and it makes me a sane human. But when you're talking about, you know, medicating a child, you really want to go, what can we do before we're at that point? Where, where do we need to land on all of this? And so that, those are the kind of things that I addressed before Beatrice ever even met her therapist. Yeah. We, we talked about, you know, what my expectations were, what my concerns were, and that I didn't want her medicated unless it became absolutely necessary that I would like us to get resources for managing her anxiety in a natural way. Hey, I'm Hal Sparks. You might know me as Zoltan or the guy in the elevator from Spider-Man 2. And I'm here uh, geeking out. <laughs> if it, I wouldn't even just call it that. More than geeking out with Angie Fiedler Sutton. And you should too. Want to support the podcast on my website? Be sure to rate and review the podcast on whatever platform you use, as well as podchaser.com. You can also support me financially through my coffee account. You can find me there and on various other social media platforms with the handle Angie F. Sutton. Also, be sure to sign up for my monthly newsletter and see links to my social media and all the places you can listen to on this podcast on my website, including episode transcripts. You can find it at AngieFSutton.com. Finally, I want to hear from you. You can call my Google Voice number, 424-341-2252, and leave a short message about what you're geeking out about lately. You may wind up on a future episode. And now, back to my interview with Siobhan Olds.
Now we could probably do the whole podcast just on that, but I'll, <laughs> I'll segue away from from that anxiety monster. This was uh, it's obviously been a very anxious ridden last couple of years. Was this idea prior to COVID or something that COVID brought up in terms of writing this book and, and dealing with the anxiety monster? So, um, I mean, frankly, Beatrice has always been a little bit of uh, an anxiety ball. I'm sure that she gets that from me. Yay, genetics. But it didn't, certainly it didn't become as prominent, I don't think, until we were in the midst of COVID. Some of that may have had to do with just the age she was at when all that was going on. Um, And I'm sure that some of that had to do with you know, there's no way to completely block out the world. She's going to say gestures at the world. (laughs) He's a smart kid. I'm sure that I was constantly freaking out about everything. I I feel like in my mind, I was handling it really well, but you know, you never know what you look like from the outside and exactly. You can always pick up on stuff like that. And then you said you're doing ADHD next. I'm assuming you have plans for other uh, like a whole series do you have a general idea of how many books total or is it just as they come to you uh what's your what 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 are your plans for the next (laughs) so my plans look like i'm kind of seeing where it all takes me i definitely will be doing a follow-up inattentive adhd because that's like an entirely different beast than hyperactive i plan to do a depression. I think that there's a lot more rates of childhood depression in the current, you know, semi-apocalypse that we all live in these days uh, than there's ever been before. No. (laughs) And I don't think people even know what to look for for depression in children, to be honest, because I think that people assume like children are happy. Well, and just as someone Um, who was recently officially diagnosed as depressed, yay me, you know, people have this weird idea of what that depression is sad it's like no it just means a disconnect and it's that you're just not in the you know nothing really matters <laughs> yeah and I, I also have a diagnosed depression anxiety and depression it's Yay! Like, so, um yeah so i think the depression that is actually really on the rise in children i think that people aren't identifying it in their children i think that a lot of us myself included to an extent until I had my own diagnosis, kind of have this idea of what depression looked like in the quote unquote, you know, 2010s where it was, you know, goth kids with too much makeup and black clothing. And it has a very certain like depression vibe, which is just not the reality at all. And I think that people don't even know what they are looking for. And I think especially in children where that's going to looks so different than it looks in an adult because there's a lot of behavior issues tied in with depression in children too. So that is definitely on my list. I'm really looking forward to diving into that. I have an OCD monster kind of sketched out and OCD is really interesting because it can usually be a tag along to a lot of other issues. So like my That's a fun of mental health that there's you very rarely just one. It's always a mix of several. <laughs> and when my anxiety spikes really bad, my OCD kicks in really hard and I get really like 
regimented lines and and patterns and stuff like that so so yeah there's different aspects of OCD too there's like the one we all know because of television and movies which is like lining things up and matching all of the edges there's also impulse which is like cleaning or flicking the light switch and there's also just intrusive thought OCD so all of that's I think stuff that is really important to put into a child's perspective so that they know what's happening with their brain when it happens, when they get those thoughts. Exactly. And then the last one I have on the books, as it were, right now I'm just calling him Rage because (laughs) he's just a little explosion ball. There are a couple of different mental health disorders that kind of all fall into that rah explosion Mm -hmm. feeling. Uh, So I haven't decided if I will just leave him as rage and kind of wrap them all together, or if I will make that very specified. I have to do a little more research on that before I go any further. Okay, well, let's move on to more geeky uh, stuff. You are a proud fangirl geek as well as I am. Tell me a little bit about kind of your top three geek fandoms what what are you geeking out about right now oh gosh well it it will literally be different almost any day you ask me my gateway fandom was harry potter you know i'm sure you're all very shocked uh, a millennial who's obsessed with harry potter i don't really do a whole lot with harry potter anymore uh possibly because i'm grown up or possibly because jk rowling sucks yeah she's a, um she, 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 but, but anyway there's, that's a whole other podcast <laughs> so but that was Definitely my gateway fandom, for sure. I am currently obsessed with, uh, I know you know this, Our Flag Means Death, because gay pirates, I can't think of any other show that could be better than that. (laughs) (laughs) I was really into, let's see, I did Buffy. I never quite got into the supernatural thing. I know that that's going to get me a lot of hate. Oh, and Doctor Who. Big fan of Doctor Who. So yeah, I kind of dabble in all the geek stuff, I guess. And I've been a fangirl for a long time. What about these types of shows draws you? I mean, why why are you geeky about these things and not, say, baseball or... You know, that's a great question. I don't know. What makes someone a fangirl instead of, like, a sports fan? I guess it's the idea of having, like, especially, you know, when I gatewayed into it with Harry Potter and fanfiction.net because it predated AO3. I think so much of it was about like building like a community that you felt was like as weird as you were, you know, like I went to school, especially in high school in a very conservative, very small town in Georgia. I moved there in my ninth grade year. So most of those kids had known each other their entire lives. And I was sort of this transplant dropped in. I always felt very weird. I think that a lot of them thought I was really weird. I lived in this round house. It was like a whole thing. I always felt very othered, whether that was the intention or not. I think everyone in high school kind of has that imposter syndrome feeling. And finding an online community of people who were like as obsessed about this thing as I was really made me feel like it was okay to be other and it was okay to be super invested in stories and relationships that weren't even real. I think that that's probably how most people end up in the fangirl world is just looking for people who make them feel like they aren't you know, crazy for being into something that's not real. And uh, 
yeah, uh, I guess like like I said earlier, basically anything with a gay ship, I'm totally on board for. Um, that is my little queer heart beating desperately for <laughs> queer representation. Um, Have you so, caught Heartstopper yet? I haven't, but only because I've been told on multiple occasions it will make me cry. I've only watched the first episode, but it is, I don't know if you ever got into Sherlock and the Sherlock Slash, but it is basically Sherlock High School AU in real form. I mean, the the little, it's a curly haired, black haired, curlied smart boy who is assigned as a lab mate the the head of the rugby team which was always john's role in these au's (laughs) i was just like oh my god someone just made john Locke high school au to life (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh no i haven't watched heartstopper but only because i've been told it will make me cry and i can only watch one show that makes me cry at a time so i have to finish one before i can start doing now you you are enough of a fan that you have created a fan shop. Kind of talk a little bit about the origin of that and how that came about, what made you decide to do that, and how how do you run a shop in today's world? Oh, God. With a hope and a prayer. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so I do. I have a – it's like a passion project. I, I mean, um, it's called On My Sleeve Design Co., And it started actually with doing really minimalist sort of blink and you'll miss it geek designs on the sleeves and on the collars of uh, sweatshirts. That that was actually my original design was just a bunch of geek stuff that was really like, you could wear this to work, you know, you could, you could wear this to school. And unless someone else was also a fan of that, they probably wouldn't even catch on that you had. Uh, that going on. Now, since then, because as I mentioned, I am a doodler by nature, I've created hundreds, literally, of designs that range from super minimalist to like my Lisa Frank sweatshirt, which is giant and neon animal print and says, I'm Lisa Frank years old. (laughs) So, And and the logo for contents may vary. (laughs) And the logo for contents may vary. So I've kind of done all of it now, but originally it started as like, a, like a, I called it fangirl bat signal. I was like, if you're wearing a Slytherin snake on your sleeve, only other Slytherin's going to be like, that's a snake on a green sleeve. I bet that's a Harry Potter fan. So <laughs> that was where it started. And yeah, it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun. I have so much merch, more than really any one person should have. I, uh, have been told many times I should niche down, but I don't know how to do that. I cannot be anything but a maximalist, apparently. I've tried a couple of times. I've actually gone through my shop many times and been like, if I was going to remove half of my designs, like where would I make the cut? Um, and frankly, that would probably make my shop more profitable. Um, but that's not really what I designed it for. I designed it for people who are fans of a lot of different things. So you know, I have Supernatural merch, and I have Buffy merch, and I have Bluey merch, because um, parents are really into Bluey these days, and I'm one of them. I have Harry Potter merch, of course. I have a bunch of our Flag Means Death stickers, because, like I said, I live and breathe it right now. Yeah, so I have a ton of fan stuff. I have a huge Halloween shop, because I am a spooky bitch, and I live and breathe it. I have a little bit of Christmas stuff, which is all really snarky and sarcastic because that's who I am as a person. So it's very much just a, yeah, make the merch you want to see in the world kind of shop for me uh, as a passion project. 
Okay, we are about to the end of this uh, interview. Was there anything else that you wanted to talk about that we haven't or anything that you wanted to mention that we didn't? The only thing I will say is you can contact me through either my shop site or my Mental Health Monsters site. If you have questions about either of those, I'm super happy to answer anything. And specifically, if there are any parents out there, if you have an idea for a mental health monster that you feel like there's not enough information for children out there, please, please send me that information. I will do extensive research for you and probably write a book someday. Okay, so clearly state uh, your website for your mental health monster. Yeah, it's long. It's mymentalhealthmonsterbooks.com. Okay, and then the URL of your uh, fan shop? Onmysleevedesignco.com. So as we round this up, um, when I transferred from calling this geek out to for with Angie Feather Sutton over to uh, contents may vary. I decided I was going to end with something similar to the questionnaire that's at the end of the actor studio, but a little bit more silly. So I have my silly lightning round questions. Are you ready? No, not at all, but go for it. <laughs> when getting dressed, do you button and zip or zip them button? Uh, I am a 30 something mom. I wear leggings. <laughs> Who's your favorite James Bond if you have one? Uh, Sean Connery, but you, really just for the looks. You mentioned Doctor Who. Favorite Doctor Who? Oh, it's so hard. Okay, so like Tennant is probably my favorite Doctor, but Matt Smith definitely had the best storyline. What's your go-to song to sing in the shower? Um, Let It Go <laughs> from Frozen. <laughs> What's your favorite curse word? Fuck. If you Always. Were, if you were a superhero and or a villain, what power would you have? Oh, uh, you know, I would probably go with invisibility and then I would lay in my bed where my kids couldn't see me and take a nap. <laughs> favorite color? Yellow. Oh, that's my lucky color. Uh, favorite or lucky number? Three. Uh, favorite drink? Alcoholic or not. <laughs> Whichever you want. Coffee in the morning and wine at night. <laughs> favorite food slash meal? Oh, um, tacos. Favorite smell? Something spicy. You know you're a true adult when you have a favorite stovetop burner. What's your favorite stovetop burner? <laughs> uh, back left. <laughs> What's your go-to comfort movie? <laughs> I always get so much judgment. Um, it Chapter 2. Just Chapter 2? Yes, Chapter okay. 2. I, I mean, I, I can understand <laughs> horror movies as comfort films. It's the same reason why you know I'm watching Criminal Minds right now. It's that the, 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 you know it's going to end happily-ish. For a thing, but I, I find it interesting that it's just the second half. Uh, <laughs> Bill Hader makes that movie. It is just gold. Who would you want to play you in a movie about your life? Oh, God. Um, that's a great question. I don't even know that there is an actress that looks like me. Doesn't have to be um, someone who looks like you. It can be someone that you just feel embodies you or that would be able to oh, play you. You know what? Um, Anne Hathaway. Okay. Because she is a goddess. <laughs> would you rather see captain kirk become a jedi or luke skywalker become captain of the enterprise oh uh captain kirk being a jedi sounds hilarious what's your favorite superstition slash conspiracy theory you don't have to believe in it oh you know what my current favorite it's so trendy right now um is the whole leah michelle can't read thing oh god <laughs> such a, i know i know it's so stupid but i'm such a broadway geek and uh so i've really been enjoying peripherally like watching the fanny rice thing blow up so definitely that what are your thoughts of pineapple on pizza 
I like it. Do you feel a hot dog is a sandwich? A hot dog is a taco. <laughs> and then final question, what is your favorite time of day and why? Um, a favorite time of day, late at night after my children go to bed. <laughs> And that's a wrap for this episode. Thanks to Siobhan Olds for being interviewed twice. As always, any URLs mentioned are in the show notes for this episode on my website. That includes a donation link to my Alzheimer's fundraiser, should you be interested. Thanks also to Hal Sparks for the mid-show plug. I interviewed him as part of my red carpet coverage of the Extraordinary Stan Lee event and can be heard on episode 25. This is Angie Fiedler-Sutton. From one-on-one interviews to red carpet and conventions to roundtable discussions, I bring you a little bit of everything. After all, contents may vary. Thanks for listening to Contents May Vary. The theme song is Schoolyard Haze by Yari Picknickin, available via the Free Music Archive. More information about the podcast is available on my website, angiefsutton.com.